This is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Michael Edgley and Derek Dyson back for our podcast where we go through our highlights of the past week, our themes and moments of the week and plenty more. Now, um, well, I'll go to you two. First of all, Derek, we, we had you back on the main show. You got your feet back under the desk. Um, you've got a nice little lineup set uh, for us uh, this uh, this week. Yeah, I've, I've eased my way back in. I haven't gone for anything too obscure and haven't given myself any long Welsh names to try and pronounce this, uh, this time. Uh, game of the week. I've just gone for El Clasico. It's mm. the, arguably the biggest game in in world football. We we covered it off the off the top of the, the of the main show, and we were lauding the performance again of twenty year old. Let's just repeat that again. Twenty years of age, Jude Bellingham, who helped cancel out uh, Ek uh, Gundogan's goal, and um, one of those goals was a, an absolute stunner in the sixty eighth minute. Uh, was up there with any of the strikes that we saw around uh, Europe or Australia, um, and then and then got the one in injury time to give Real the uh, the famous victory at not the new camp, but as you said, the uh, the temporary old uh, Olympic Stadium. There, Bellingham has fourteen goals in sixteen matches for club and country this season. And again, I, I said this before the. Um, before I went away, Girona, <laughs> we need to talk about them at some point, but they're, they're above uh, Girona on goal difference at the moment. Somehow they're, they're still at the top of La Liga, but probably more importantly for Real Madrid, they are four points clear of Barcelona. Not that they had it all their own way. Uh, Barca hit the post twice. There was also a great save from Kepa, who I must admit I'd forgotten I'd gone to Real Madrid, but, but he looked good. But... Uh, I'll give you uh, this question without notice to Edge. Uh, is Jude Bellingham the best footballer in the planet right now? That's a really tough question. Is he the best world footballer? I'll, I'll probably say no, but he's definitely in the top five. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it, it's putting a cat amongst the pigeons. Um, I, I think, without sounding too hyperbolic, he could potentially be the greatest footballer that... Uh, England has ever produced if he's going the way he is. I mean, Bobby uh, Charlton, of course, who we lost recently, and he covered magnificently on the show last week. He, similar kind of player to him, really, box to box, uh, getting in amongst the goals, a proper leader in the middle of the pitch. He is um, absolutely, um, absolutely purring. Barca had no answer, and, and uh, you'll forgive me for saying that they can't get no satisfaction, uh, and that's a bit personal because they were wearing Rolling Stones uh, insignia on their shirts. And, and, you, and, so. and one of the reasons why they were, because I, I, I didn't watch the full game, but I watched the highlights. But uh, um, but I saw Mick and the crew up in, up there in the stands um, watching the game as well. So And, that, and there was lots of uh, uh, Stones um, advertising around the ground. So uh, uh, we all know that uh, the, the new camp is going to be called the Spotify new camp when it eventually does open. So obviously Barca, um, well, they were going to be out of business for a while, their edge, according to you. Um, so they're, they're finding it, all sorts of creative ways to, to put some uh, cash back into the coffers. Yeah, they've still got a massive debt. You know, the, yeah, look, um, the financial health of uh, teams and 
uh, you know, the, the pointy end of that competition are, are being much reported and documented uh, uh, throughout the past six or seven months. And, you know, Real Madrid is uh, well and truly laying down the gauntlet to Barcelona. They've, they've transitioned as a club Barcelona in the last uh, 12 months. Um, yeah, despite all the marketing efforts, um, I think they've got their work ahead of them to catch Real Madrid, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely agree. But it was a good game. I mean, Barca really um, just you know on the strength of uh, the fact that it was a you know a stoppage time winner from Bellingham um, and and the the amount of opportunities. I think you said that they hit the the woodwork at least two or three times in that opening half. Um, they they were pretty good value for that loss. Uh, so, um, but they lost, didn't they? Um, I'm going to take uh, the next cab off the rank with with my game of the week because uh, while we did cover it extensively with Grace in the main show earlier in the week, the performance of the Matildas on Sunday night in front of a full house of nearly 60,000 at Perth's Optus Stadium uh, was was just breathtaking. Um, I've had the opportunity to travel to Perth and uh, what a stadium it is and, uh, and what, what a cauldron, what a cathedral of sport. And uh, and yes, they did have a little ring rust against Iran, but it's fair as you know that lineup was largely made up of. Uh, of the second string players, rising stars, uh, uh, most of them uh, sat on the on the pine during the the World Cup. So it took them a, a while to to find their groove against that well drilled Iran side. Which you know, respect to them, uh, as as Edge you said and, and Grace agreed, uh, their sole game plan will the large part of their game plan was to frustrate and delay, and they did it well. But the Filipinas are fair dinkum side who can deliver on their day and we know that uh, that they did put in a, a pretty respectable World Cup performance. They, they knocked out the Kiwi host. They lost to Switzerland 2-0 and Switzerland are a proper side and uh, yes, they did uh, get taken to the sword by the the, uh, the Norwegians but uh, but they they were good value throughout the course of that tournament under Alan Stajic and, and this was the first big stage in prime time for the Matildas uh, uh, post the World Cup. It was a full house and for me, they're just a appeared to be a, like a pent-up frustration about the way the World Cup ended um, after the heroics against France uh, had captured you know, the attention of the nation. It was like they had a point to prove, and, and boy, did they prove it. Mary Fowler's World Cup's finish to open proceedings. Sam Kerr, Frank Turr, superstardom on home turf, and uh, had a hat-trick. Caitlin forward, rinse and repeat for a hat-trick of her own, and then as you talked about, uh, the Claire Wheeler strike. So, you know, it really felt like it was that step, and we talked to Grace about this, uh, where they they are coming towards the stage where I think Edge, um, you know, a, a podium finish has got to be the the minimum expectation at next year's Olympics. Provided we qualify, yes. The next stage of qualification, as Grace Gill mentioned in the uh, main program, is not going to be easy. Um, there's only two spots uh, up for grab again for Asia. So, um, yeah, provided we qualify, Olympic Games for me. You know, I've, I've, listeners to this podcast will know that Olympic Games for me are, you know, they're probably behind the Asian Cup in level of importance for Australia's uh, Football Australia because there's uh, only three European nations at the Olympic Games when, you know, uh, 16 of the top 20 nations are European in, in the FIFA rankings. So it's a very much compromised event, the Olympic Games. Yeah, it is, um, but it's still the Olympic Games. But it's Games. important in Australia, and I acknowledge that, but mm. football is a world game. And uh, I am hearing murmurs that uh, FIFA are getting closer to to making a decision to pull the senior women out of the Olympic Games and make it an under-23 mm. event, which I think would be a good decision. Mm, okay, interesting. Just breaking news on the right, What's your game of the week, Edge? My game of the week is I'm gone to the Eredivisie because uh, AX made the trip to Eindhoven to PSV, and normally that is a grudge match of epic proportions because 
they're at the top of the table fighting it out, but not this year. And it, it, it and for those uh, casual observers of European football who might tune into our podcast, you're going to be a little bit shocked because Ajax, they've dropped to the bottom of the Eredivisie after they lost uh, to PS, PSV Eindhoven for a club record fifth successive Dutch top flight defeat. Unbelievable, really. They Monday of last week, Ajax coached uh, Maurice Steen before they lost 2-0 to Brighton and Hove Albion in the Europa League. Uh, PSV's uh, Herving Lazaro scored a hat-trick. Luke de Jong and Ismail Sabari also on target on uh, last Sunday. So uh, quite a remarkable story, this, that Eindhoven, they've gone top of the table, five points. Second, believe it or not, is Matty Ryan's AZ Alkmaar. So they're in the hunt for the championship. But AX... 18th place, five points from eight matches, a goal difference of negative eight. Ajax were Dutch champions in 2021-22 under Eric Ten Hag before he became the Manchester United manager. And now they've just got five points from eight games. And believe it or not, they led 2-1 in this match at halftime. But Eindhoven scored four second-half goals to just thump them in the last 30 minutes. Derek, it is a remarkable fall from grace for this unbelievable club. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is, uh, because it wasn't that long ago that we were absolutely um, lauding them as this, you know, they got to the Champions League semi-finals, I think, and they were uh, only just overturned by um, Tottenham Hotspur um, in that that amazing game at the, uh, at, well, at the Ajax Stadium. Was- that team was decimated because all the big clubs came in and, and ripped it was. six of their players out of it. But, yeah, it's just remarkable that this club is. It was. And and then, look, obviously, ten that was Ten Hag's team as well. Um, That's right. But, but I, I think, look, a lot of these clubs are just struggling with the, the prevalence of, you know, uh, Premier League money, pre- prevalence of, you know, uh, nation-state money, the prevalence of the Saudi League. Like, I just think... That model is just being tried and tested, Edge, over and over again. And I think we can all get dreamy about Ajax. And I've got a book on the shelf behind me about Johan Cruyff, and I've read all about it, and I've read all the philosophy and everything else. But you know, it's very bloody difficult every time that you develop talent, and then it, and then and, and then you sell it um, at sort of diminishing returns. So yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised that that sort of thing has happened to a club like Ajax, but. I don't think we ever would have expected them to be popping up the uh, the Dutch league, that's for sure. And just doing a bit of desktop research as you guys were chatting, I think I'm right in saying that the last time they were relegated was in 1918. So yeah. they are the biggest brand in the in that competition. They are the most well supported club, the biggest stadium. You know, they've got all the modern technology uh, around it. They've got this factory of um, talent, uh, all that sort of stuff. It's just a remarkable story, and. Um, uh, and, you know, good luck to Matty Ryan at AZ Alkmaar. Uh, I can't recall whether they've ever won the Eredivisie, so that's something for him for him to shoot off. But there's a, an evolving story, and we'll have to watch Ajax's uh, progress through the course of this uh, winter, won't we, Derek? Absolutely. I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to watching that. Rob, do you want my uh, team of the week? Yeah, I certainly do. Far away. Talk. Talking about um, European powerhouses, as someone who's not propping up their league is um, Bayern Munich. Now, I didn't do what I should have done for this segment and uh, check what the overnight result was because 
Bayern were top when I wrote these notes, but I'm glad that I've looked it up because Leverkusen have gone back to the top of uh, Bundesliga. And tell you what, Fed Income, I think that's uh, Xavi Alonso's Leverkusen is keeping five wins in a row, keeping Bayern very, very honest there and not having it their own way at all. But I did want to flag Bayern because they managed to rack up just the eight goals against um, Damstad. I think the thing that was incredible about this game is that all the goals were in the second half, so it was nil-nil at half time. Um, and of course, uh, you know this this has been an amazing weekend of goals. Whether it be the Eddie uh, Eddie Inketia goal, whether it be the uh, the uh, Jude Bellingham goal, whether it be the Irakunda goal, but topping them all off was, and I hate to say it, is Harry Kane. I don't know. If you guys saw this goal from just behind halfway, spotted the damn so goalkeeper off his line. Uh, one of uh, one of his finest goals, uh, sort of putting pay to the concept that he only ever scores in the box. It was an amazing strike, uh, a hat trick for him, uh, double figures already uh, for the season. Uh, Bayern were actually down to 10 men uh, after Joshua Kimmich was sent off. Um, they're undefeated still. Um, and uh, they've just got a fabulous team. Uh, Komen, Musiala and Sane playing behind Kane at the moment. Thomas Muller can't even get on the, the starting uh, 11. And, and the thing they'll be most pleased about probably is that Manuel Neuer, the veteran goalkeeper, returned after 10 months out and kept a clean seat. So Bayern Munich's the team of the week. But hey, uh, a bit like Girona in uh, in Spain, we've got Bayer Bayer Leverkusen uh, upsetting the odds in Germany and, and of course, Spurs in uh, in the Premier League. So, uh, uh, interesting times across Europe, I think, Rob. Yeah, well, Harry could have stayed at home and he would have been on top of the league instead of sitting second in um, in a farmer's league. Would he, though? Would he, though? That's the question, Ooh, Rob, isn't point. it? Would he? Yes. Did, did, it unlock, did it unlock this team? Did it unburden Ange? Yeah. That is the question we will never know. No, it is. It's a mystery. If we had our time machine, we would know all about it. Now, mm. my team of the week is uh, in our own backyard. Um, you know, I was lauding them last week with Joey Lynch speculating uh, whether one convincing win in the Big Blue was enough to to give us hope that uh, the long-suffering Victory fans would would be up for a decent season. Uh, um, and then Bruno Fornaroli steps up with the masterclass. Quite seriously, I mean, he he hit the the, the woodwork himself three times. Uh, um, uh, along with um, those uh, those four goals, one of which was a Brabona, beautifully called by our good mate Daniel Garb uh, in the course of the game, uh, was uh, was a very sweet finish. Uh, so five three over Newcastle, and and what interested me most was I, I was with my older son Thomas and his best mate Massimo, who both appeared on this podcast over the journey, and uh, and and they they wanted to flip between the victory and the Matildas match, and uh, and they were just talking. I said, "We haven't been to the victory for a while. We should get it back out there. They're looking pretty good." So if that was a you know a um an ex- a sample size of two uh, of of a couple of guys that used to go out to a lot of victory games that are talking about going back out, then uh, then I think that's a, a positive sign. And uh, and uh, if they've sorted out the issues with um with with some of the crowd behaviour um, after the uh, the craziness of the the grand final decision last year, with uh, the active support back, and they did look in good voice. And I know I've been as big a critic in the past as anybody, but uh, but when they they do the job that they they're meant to in supporting their team, and uh, you know at least behaving like civilized human beings at the same time, then uh, then that is a good thing for for the A League. So uh, Edge, I, I think that um, you know. Tony Popovich, you don't hold him down for long. Um, with victory back up and about, um, everyone who isn't a victory supporter loves to hate the victory. 
So you need them doing well so everybody else can have a good reason to hate them. Correct. Yes, they're just one of those clubs that need to be up and firing, aren't they? Yeah, no, exactly. So that's my take on my team of the week. All right, what about you? My team of the week is Adelaide United. Uh, we spoke about them a little bit in the in the open opening uh, segment of the uh, main show on Monday. Uh, two matches, two wins, but those wins have come against the champions and the premiers. They've scored nine goals and they're doing it with um, an unbelievable array of attacking young talent. Um, I think they just deserve this because of two reasons, the young talent, the incredible goals, the momentum the club's developing, but they're doing it all without last season's Johnny Warren medal winner, Craig Goodwin, who was the key player for them as they made their run towards the finals. Um, Nest, Nest Best atmosphere in the A-League um, in Adelaide Edge? Yeah, I think it is, yeah, because of the, the stadium's uh, compact nature and uh, the, the one-team town and all of that stuff. Look, you know, Amy Park goes close, close. And, and, and when Sydney FC play the uh, the derby against Western Sydney at Allianz Stadium, it is all Parramatta. It is pretty uh, pretty epic atmospheres too. But no, um, High Marsh, traditional football home, is a great atmosphere. So they're my team of the week for obvious reasons. They're going very, very well. And they're exciting to watch. And uh, I really can't wait to see what happens this season for Adelaide United. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed watching that game. Um, the, uh, um, you know, admittedly uh, to, to watch the Premier fall from grace so dramatically um, after uh, after the heroics of last year, you know, and, uh, and you know, uh, getting the, 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 the wrong end of the rub of the green with the grand final decision and getting thumped the way that they were in that grand final. But they, they were dominant and quite incredible the way that they finished that season so clear on top. But for them to, to fall off the perch so so quickly, um, well, it's only two rounds in. So, uh, you know, they're a proud they had club a, and a clear. Yeah, they had a very good win in the Asian Champions League during the week mm. too. They flew... That was the game of Buriam you were telling us about? Buriam in northern Thailand, um, up, you know, higher than... Chiang Mai, so it is. Uh, you know, they flew into Bangkok and then a regional flight out there. So, and they got a very good win. Burim's the big daddy of Thai football. They have all the the money in the in the league. Um, they were very shocked to be beaten by Melbourne City in that Asian Champions League game. That was all the news here in Thailand. But um, so they had a tough week. They had to. They, to, they played last uh, Saturday. They got on a plane, played on a Wednesday, and then back again mm. uh, on the Sunday. So three games in eight days. And playing and and playing the domestic game away as well. So no, well, I guess that's, that's right. uh, if anyone was looking for an answer, they, you've got it there. But well, six what, goals is a big. It's a whipping. Yeah. Oh, it's a pounding. And and what about and what about Joe Gauchi's save? Did you love that penalty save? Um, it was he was dived the wrong way. Um, and often you see the keeper save it with his boot when he dives the wrong way, but you don't often see the the, the keeper do a Keanu Reeves sort of um, style move mid air, do you? Where he actually saw the ball and raised his boot while he was hovering um, uh, horizontally to the ground. So uh, that that was one little moment that, that that caught my eye too. It was a it was a great match. Yeah, it was a great match. Yeah, yeah, that, that caught everyone's eye. All right, uh, hot topics. Um, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, get started and pinch your uh, spot in the in the running order, Derek, because I always seem to run out of time now. Uh, because I just had a funny one, and I've mentioned a couple of times that I was listening to the Athletic podcast, and when they they played uh, the 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 highlight package of this story, they they played the Benny Hill 
um, theme music, which we all know and love so well. So I'm, of course, referring to um, the Chelsea Chelsea uh, comic Capers uh, goalkeeping at the at the end of the Brentford match. So um, there, there is a great article on the Athletic about this, which uh, has a, a real nice dose of humour. So so um, you know, as we often see in these matches, Chelsea had so many chances that they just couldn't take advantage of. And then what always happens that the team that are on the back foot in the derby, Brentford in this case, uh, go ahead. So the clock is draining. Uh, Chelsea have a, 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 a penalty. Uh, it's the 95th minute, uh, mind you. So Robert Sanchez decides to, to venture upfield. And uh, um, and as the, the, um, the Chelsea article wrote, uh, they took the view that their goalkeeper had a better chance of scoring from a last gas piece than Raheem Sterling, Ian Mutson or Cole Palmer, who in the, the picture in the article were all positioned outside of the penalty area. So as uh, as the commentator described, it's over the head of Sanchez and then Brian Bomo uh, outpaces him as he's running back to score the goal. So, look, I feel sorry for Sanchez, the fact that he did this. But I guess the question is, other than in, a, say, a cup final or a, a dramatic promotion relegation moment, uh, um, Unai Emery wouldn't agree. He hates the idea of goalkeepers going forward. But, Derek, when... Is it right for the goalkeeper to go forward, if ever? Unless you're Alison. Well, yeah, quite. Uh, Peter Schmeichel, I think, scored quite a, a good one back in the back in the day as well. Look, I mean, I think it's a gam- calculated gamble. You're you're losing the game anyway, so you know you might as well go up and try and win the game. I I, I must admit, I don't know how many other minutes were. Was that genuinely the last attack of the game? Was it the last throw of the dice? Uh, goalkeepers can cause a bit of chaos. I mean, it, it does smack of desperation as well. I mean, it is really the now, when it final. Wrong, it, it, and he's not a big guy, is he, Sanchez? Yeah. So he's not coming in with like a big six-foot-five frame. Um, he's, he's a relatively modestly built guy. But my stat of the week for this one is that um, Brentford have won at Stamford Bridge more times than Chelsea have won at Stamford Bridge in the last six months. So I don't know what that says about Brentford and I don't know what that says about Chelsea. Well, it says that Thomas Frank can set up a team for a win when uh, he's got a mind to do it, and that Chelsea are going pretty ordinary under Mopo right now. Um, all right, your hot topic, man? Yeah, my hot topic is the David Beckham uh, documentary. Uh, I don't know whether you gents have, have, have watched yes, it. I, I feel a little late to the party. I know that this isn't like breaking news for the for the rest of our listeners, but it is kind of breaking news for me. Uh, there is obviously a, a link to my previous answer we were talking about there the Harry Kane goal from the halfway line. And, of course, the Beckham documentary pretty much opens with the famous goal by Beckham from the halfway line at Selhurst Park against Wimbledon over over hapless Neil Sullivan and uh, very much kick-starting uh, his career. As, as people know, have listened to the podcast regularly, I'm not a big fan of sports documentaries, or at least I'm not a big fan of the massive influx and obsession uh, with everyone suddenly needing a sports documentary now it was all kick-started by the like the like in recent times by the likes of the michael jordan one sunderland till i die the the great inadvertent hits documentary as people know i haven't watched the arsenal documentary i haven't watched wrexham on on disney plus because i'm just sort of concerned about it just being a you know, just sort of cynical about its motivations. But so when I when I heard about Beckham, my initial reaction was like, there's no way in hell I'm watching that. 
Um, but then I listened to a few of my more cerebral podcasts. I listened to, heard a few pundits talking about how good it was. And I thought, well, okay, um, uh, I'll give it a go. My wife was also uh, up for it as well. I'm about three episodes in. I haven't finished it off yet. But, you know, as most people are saying, it's it's tremendous. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed re, reliving uh, the history. It's brilliantly produced from a television point of view. It's extremely authentic. I loved when I saw the opening scene with David Beckham with his bees. I thought I was watching the wrong documentary. I thought I'd stumbled upon sort of like um, something else completely. Him talking about his OCD in the kitchen. The, the, the piss taking between him and, and Victoria who come out of it um, e- extremely well uh, and just reliving that iconic period of football history, not all of which was good for Arsenal. There's plenty of kind of, you know, anti-Arsenal, not anti-Arsenal, but the Arsenal were the, the, the victims of some of David Beckham's success. Um, I'm at the moment now talking of Arsenal where the boot has been kicked to David Beckham and that was after a loss in the, in the FA Cup at Old Trafford, um, and I suspect the rest of it will be will be really good too. So you know, I've I've actually really enjoyed it. I've sort of been reminded why I liked David Beckham in the first place, um, it, and I think it's also reminded me of why I don't really follow England, like the response to the Simeone and the effigies and mm-hmm. the fa- the Vox Pops with the fans outside the grounds and booing him in the in the team coach and the the press and all the rest of it. Um, you know, that just summed it up for me. Yeah, so there, there, yeah. there, would, yeah. there would have been a lot of people um, that were shamed that, that that would have been identified because that that documentary has been gone so far and wide, and and the, the mm. behaviour um, of uh, of the uh, the English supporters and the English press after that. But uh, I, I, bet, I I agree with you. I really enjoyed it. Um, it fortunately, uh, for for the the documentary makers of which obviously David and Victoria Beckham were, were supporting him behind uh, was the um, obsessive nature of his dad and you can tell where he gets his obsession yeah. from in collecting all of those videos of and filming all of the of the early games so you had all of this fantastic footage of Beckham as a really young boy and uh, and those moments when he first turns up at Manchester United so so it's almost like from the day he was born this documentary was destined to be made so as a as a television production person yourself uh, to, to have that rich trove of content you probably could have made uh, you know four times the the amount of, of content but the storytelling is is where it really comes into play and uh, and uh, look I guess we don't want to give too much of it away but uh, but it's just it's a great story the highs and lows so it just shows you that it doesn't matter how much money you've got that um, you can experience the the, the 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 dizzying heights of success in your life but you can equally experience the lowest of lows um, and and, and those lows can can be even uh, more sharply focused when your entire country is telling you that they want you dead, um, and that would be pretty hard to deal with. Ed, have you watched it? No, I haven't watched it, but I do plan to. I've just been pretty busy. Um, um, what, what do you like more, Robo, biopic or a, or a documentary like uh, what Beckham's done? Hmm. I just watched oh, just the depends. George Foreman biopic. It was very, very good. Yeah, it just depends. I, I think when they're done well, um, I, I like, I like this. Well, we'll, we'll, we might expand on this a, a little later on once you've watched it and have a have a more um, sort of a deeper dive. What about your hot topic edge to bring us home? Well, I just wanted to congratulate the Marseille Football Club for being on brand. <laughs> the fans have lived up to their uh, reputation of being the worst in European football, and they've just done some horrific stuff 
last weekend and it's come to light the extent of it. If you have a look at um, obviously the fixture between Marseille and Lyon, which is a big one, there's two city that the fans don't like each other. There's been a lot of trouble at the Lyon Stadium with Marseille fans and, and vice versa. So um, French football's it's used to these troubles. Uh, it's really ugly at the moment. Um, there's been something of really significant proportions each season over the last three or four seasons. And unfortunately, Marseille has been one of the culprits each time. This time they've stoned the bus. If you have a look at the pictures of the bus, there's not a window that's not been smashed in. And there is some horrendous footage of, um, uh, of the coach uh, and his assistant coach. Well, Fabio Grosso. Yeah, just really, really uh, quite damaged and hurt uh, with a lot of blood. And um, the players uh, from Lyon wanted to wanted to go in with a game, but they then realised how badly hurt their coach was and um, the league uh, pulled the pin on the game. And there'll be a, uh, a committee that will decide whether the game's replayed or whether it will be given to Lyon. Um, but it's just Marseille, um, the club's owners, who do egg the fans on a little bit. They've been a little bit childish in their response previously this one they've come out immediately and condemned the behavior and want to hold those accountable to bans and so forth but um i just think marseille they need to get their act together derek this club has had this sort of um behavior every season over the last uh, i think the last four seasons has been a very significant issue at marseille i think it's time for them to be punished quite badly yeah i i, I completely i completely agree uh i think you know, it's like anything in football. We don't, you know, Marseille are one of the great European clubs, one of the great destinations. Uh, I think it's important for there to be other teams in France outside of PSG that, that provide that that colour. And, and we know they're very passionate fans. We know that Marseille is a melting pot of different cultures and personalities and that sort of thing. And we want them to be vociferous and supporting their team. But, we're, you know, obviously the you know, the line is well and truly being destroyed there. And, and and then, as you've said, like, this is not unusual for Marseille. It's not, it is a French football problem, um, you know, in particular. Uh, I don't know what it is um, culturally or um, socio-culturally in France right now, but there, there is a lot of this going on in their game. And I think they've got, the authorities have got to do something to stamp it out. Yeah, and I, my, I think I've mentioned this a couple of times, but my, my niece, um, you know, a suburban girl from Melbourne, married to a Frenchman uh, from Marseille, their apartment, uh, the balcony, uh, they've sent me photos from time to time when the place is rocking. You can see it from there and uh, um, as, um, as you know, a, a, an uncle with a, a niece so far away knowing that this is the kind of behaviour that regularly happens at, at those grounds. So, you know, it, 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 it comes really close to home. So no, absolutely disgraceful. Uh, we might have to get one of our French uh, correspondents on soon to, to you know, just have a yarn about it. No, we're not going to solve any issues, but we might uh, at least talk about it in a little bit more detail. Gentlemen, Edge, um, we'll wrap it up there, mate. You have a good week ahead. Thank you, Rob. Yes, yeah, um, absolutely. like to look forward to uh, A-League women's back this week. I'm looking forward to that. And Arsenal, can they keep, <laughs> keep pace with uh, City and Tottenham? Do you think so, Derek? Can they? Well, uh, big game coming up, obviously, against... Uh, Newcastle, and for those of you that didn't listen to the main show, you should go back and check out our, our interview with Jacob, the uh, Athletics Newcastle correspondent, pointing out that while 
St. James's Park has been a little bit of a graveyard for Arsenal in recent years. They did go and get the job done in a bit of a smash and grab raid last season. It will be interesting to see whether they can do it again. But uh, yeah, look, big, big, or oh, they're all big games now, I think. And then we get back to Arsenal. And I'm sure if Adam Maloney was on mic, he'd be talking about uh, Arsenal as well because he wanted to package up Eddie and hit Kettier's uh, hat trick. Uh, and the same uh, time, Rob, uh, what about Liverpool? Your Liverpool. <laughs> Liverpool. I love it. I love the Thai accent. I always used to, when I was in Thailand, um, they have a bit of a challenge with the letter R, and I always used to be called Lobat. It's not football, it's football. <laughs> football, that's fantastic. Well done, Derek. Well done, Edge and Adam. And to our listeners, thank you again for tuning in. Please subscribe to Box to Box, Stoppage Time and Offside. Make sure you leave us a rating. It always helps. And to those of you who have, thank you for making the effort. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on X. Like us on Facebook and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.